Welcome to Mother Food, a podcast dedicated to mothers who turn the traditional role of feeding into professional success. I'm your host, Elisa Timoshkina, event planner, supper club host, cook, food writer, and first-time mama. In this podcast, we will meet women who forged inspiring careers in food while also embracing life as mothers. We cover topics from life-work balance and self-nurture to pregnancy diets, breastfeeding, baby weaning, family meal planning, and a lot more. No matter where you are on your journey now, you will find support, advice, inspiration, and a community here. Mother Food is a space for heartfelt discussions filled with recipes, food memories, practical tips, and honest insights into the lives of modern mothers. My guest today is Alex Head, chef and founder of Social Pantry, a leading catering and events company that also has five cafes and restaurants across London. Alex is a real pioneer. From working with ex-offenders and practicing zero-waste approach in her kitchens, to introducing mental health awareness and wellness days at work. She is also a powerful voice for women in the events and catering industry, and is often featured in leading UK media, sharing her insights and work ethics. I am a huge admirer of what she does. So when I recently saw a picture of Alex with a gorgeous little baby on her Instagram feed, I was overjoyed that I now had a reason to get in touch and invite her to share her story on motherhood. For me, the old age conditioning of women that we can have either a career or a family sometimes proves a little bit hard to shake off. So, like all of my guests on this podcast, Alex's example is a powerful reminder that we can, and indeed must, move past those dated binary positions. I hope you will be as inspired as I was by Alex's story. Hi, Alex. Welcome to Mother Food. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have you on the show because I'm a bit of a fan, to be honest. <laughs> Don't be silly, vice versa. <laughs> My goodness. As I was saying, I've just ordered your cookbook and I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. I literally can't wait. It looks gorgeous as well. Thank you so much. Um, so first of all, congratulations on becoming a mum recently. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, could you tell us a bit about your gorgeous girl? Because you you kept it quiet on Instagram and then all yeah. of a sudden there's a baby. <laughs> I know. I promise I made her and didn't steal her. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm quite private about most things, actually. So I kind of, I suppose when I was pregnant, I kind of didn't really put any focus on it. Um, and then I kind of wasn't even sure that I was going to ever kind of Instagram or, you know, and then actually when she arrived, I was like, oh, she's quite cute. Um, <laughs> so I kind of couldn't resist really. Um, but yeah, I had Roxy on, um, December the 31st. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She was due on the 16th. Um, so I was kind of just getting bigger and bigger and bigger over Christmas and thinking, when is this baby going to arrive? And finally, the 31st, she made her appearance. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's incredible timing. 
I know, I know. I kind of assumed I'd have a baby by Christmas, um, you know, because I was thinking, oh, maybe by, by the latest it'll be kind of, you know, Christmas Day or, you know, kind of, and then actually she was so overdue. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I just ate for England and just got so much <laughs> larger and really enjoyed it. But <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so she was two weeks overdue, did you say? Yeah, yeah, she was two weeks overdue, actually, yeah, which I think they never prepare you for, do they? I was first in our... Did you, did you do NCT, Alyssa? Did you do anything like that? I, I just had, like, a one-day class. It wasn't really a proper NCT, but a very kind of short crash course at my local hospital. Yeah, I, I did a couple of those. So we kind of had a gang of people that we knew, um, which was nice because they were all around that time. Um, and I, although all my all my sisters are pregnant as well. So anyway, so, so it was quite nice because we we're all due. And then actually I was the first person to be due. And then suddenly five babies had arrived and oh, wow. I st was still pregnant and I just was getting so grumpy. Oh, it's a test like, of kind of, patience, isn't it? Isn't it? And there's that anxiety around giving birth. There's that, you know, there's so much... You've been prepared for, you know, you're, I, I always feel like you're kind of, you know, when you're preparing for birth, that you, you know, they kind of really prep you up, don't they? So you're kind of really, you know, you know, ready for this big event. And then it just kind of never really happened. It was ridiculous. Did they let you go on over the date? Yeah, so I think we had a bit of a tricky one because it was over Christmas. So I had a couple of sweeps and I think on Christmas Eve I was already kind of a couple of centimeters so things were happening but it, it kind of I had a lot of stop start stop start um and then by the 31st I was thinking oh my goodness it's going to be a January baby like gosh that's so different to the 16th of December so I kind of at that point um we had started you know we had kind of started having sweeps from about I think about the 27th 28th really yeah so they had yeah we had started that intervention as such and then it took so much more to get her out Oh, would you mind telling us about that? Yeah, of course I can. It's quite gory. Um, so I end up, I end up, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't really told it before, but I'll happily, I'll happily chat. So I had registered because of geographically with Chelsea and Westminster. Um, and I was really low risk. So I assumed it would be really at the birthing center. I'd done a bit of hypnobirthing and I was, I was a bit head in the sand about it. My partner actually had read quite a lot and he was a bit more on it, but I was, I felt, I felt quite prepared um, and I kind of my sister's had four children she's only a couple of years older she's had four children all naturally two at home and very easy so I was quite I suppose I didn't consider myself to be any risk really but we Christmas came and went and I had a couple of sweeps and then I went into Chelsea and Westminster and they put in a pessary and that mm -hmm. kind of nothing really happened actually and they were so full because after Christmas everybody had kind of I suppose waited or they had put off any you know so there's this bit of a Christmas backlog actually and I had had the pestery and I had to stay in overnight because I, I, I really reduced movement and so the next day I kind of said it was the 31st and I said hey listen when what, you know what's going to happen the next step was for them to manually break my waters but they were so full they had seven people in the birthing wards uh, in the birthing rooms and they all had to have their babies and then they every you know everything was just full so they said to me listen if you want to go down to um Middlesex hospital you can so I thought oh, do you know what I can so mid labor I mean I was having very gentle contractions but um they were definitely contractions so mid labor off we went down to um Middlesex hospital um which was amazing it was a university hospital and they we went straight into our private room it was incredible they had 
um, I think only two babies born delivered on the 31st. Um, so I kind of was, I suppose, ready to kind of get this baby out. You know, I'd, I was 14 days overdue. I'd had yeah. like, three sweeps. The pessary hadn't really worked. And then the contractions had kind of gone down to nothing. So the next step was to break my water. So, and I don't think that would have happened for another 20 hours at Chelsea and Westminster, if not 24 hours, like it would have taken ages. So we just said, Hey, yeah, of course we'll go to the hostel where they've got more beds and more space. And off we went. And um, we were looked after so well, it really was amazing. So we went and by midday, they'd broken my waters and it was great. Um, and everything kind of started relatively smoothly and I was doing a bit of hypnobirthing and kind of feeling in a really good place. And then I began to feel really, very, very sick. Um, and I was so British about it. I, um, I was just really embarrassed. So, and the midwives changed over at about 8 p.m. And I, there was this new, slightly scarier midwife and I didn't want her to think that I was being pathetic. So I kind of was quietly saying to George, I feel really ill. Like, I really don't feel great. Oh, God. And um, I actually contracted sepsis. So oh, like no. 20 minutes, I was then really, really ill. Um, and I was in, oh. um, in and out of consciousness. And I was being so, yeah, I was really ill. And I remember, all I can really remember is all the alarms going off. And the doctor, the, the, the consultant had just started his shift and he hadn't even got changed yet. Um, and he was there and there's a lot of people in the room and it was, I was just, I felt so ill. I would never forget how ill I felt. Um, and George kind of uh, agreed with the, with the guys on, you know, that a C-section was the only way and that actually we needed to do it very, very quickly. So within kind of half an hour of me feeling quite ill, they had stabilized me and I was, you know, everything, wires and drips and everything everywhere. And, 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 and I went for surgery. So I kind of, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, I had a, had a C-section after a bit of drama. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so what was your first encounter like with her? All this waiting, the two yes. weeks of waiting and then, gosh, the I drama. Did. Yes. And then I couldn't, oh my goodness, I think... I, do, I mean, I've suffered with a bit of anxiety over the years, um, but I think it was one of the most terrifying moments was seeing this baby be kind of lifted up. I was kind of, I would say three quarters there. I wasn't fully kind of alert. Mm-hmm. Um, but my goodness, it was terrifying. I think I assumed it would be this real, oh, wow, isn't this amazing, really emotional. Gosh, I'm so happy. And I was so terrified. <laughs> I kind of thought, oh my God, I'm not sure I can really handle this. And there she was, this real fat little baby, fat little red staring <laughs> at me because she'd been so comfortable in there, um, staring at me. Yeah, she was like, oh, what are you doing to me, guys? <laughs> I'm not ready. Yeah, she was so gross. Um, yeah, I, I suppose really overwhelming, actually, is probably the word to, to summarise it. Yeah. And did you manage to um, feed her straight away? So we, um, yes, I did actually, I, I couldn't really feel my arms because they had given me quite, I, I, I kind of was shaking quite a lot during the, uh, during like the, the seizure and the blood poisoning. So they had to have people kind of holding me down quite a lot. So I was kind of, I wasn't really able to kind of like hold her like myself, but these midwives were really amazing and they kind of held her onto my boob as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of regained feeling in my arms and my chest and it, and, it, and it was amazing actually and because it was New Year's Eve there's no one in the hospital so we got wheeled out and actually the midwives then came over for a little with a little bit of Prosecco for George and they all oh. had a bit of a toast and it was New Year's Eve and it was you know it was midnight it was it was really fun I mean I I was allowed a tiny bit of water 
that, yeah, they kind of, so there I was kind of, I suppose they helped me kind of feed and it, it was amazing actually. It was a really amazing experience. Um, and in a totally quiet hostel, we literally had all the staff you could ever, ever imagine. It, it really was amazing. Um, and they were so good with helping with the feeding, which I was so relieved about. That's incredible. That has to be the most amazing story of like greeting the new decade I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, such a drama queen, like literally there she was. Yeah. So it was great. It, yeah, it, it was good. But it's a very kind of bizarre. Yeah, I suppose it's such a special time, isn't it? Like look at thinking back to it, it's such a special and amazing, an amazing time. Yeah. Um, what was your first meal after you gave birth? Oh, what was it? Oh, I had, um, they made me some toast, actually. Some Marmite toast, I think it was, and tea. Oh, it was the best. (laughs) I love it that most women have, you know, it doesn't matter what exactly you had, but I guess because you just experienced the most profound physical and emotional kind of earthquake in your life, any meal that you've had after that is the most amazing one. Yeah, isn't it? It's so comforting. Yeah, it could it could have been something I hated. I probably would have still found it amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And how long were you in the hospital for? So we then had a little bit of a stint in the hospital, actually. So we were in for 10 days, I think. Or, no, maybe less. Eight, eight days. I, we were in for de- definitely a week. So, yeah, so, so we were kind of, yeah, we were in for a week, which I found really brilliant for so many like I just yeah I, I think it was luckily um they very sweetly put us in a room so we weren't in a ward actually and that's because because we had moved hospitals they they um like they just looked after us so well so they put us in a room so it meant that George could kind of stay um and 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 be helpful I think he went home for one night and at 5am in the morning I phoned being like can you come back this child won't stop crying <laughs> um so he, he was there pretty much with the whole thing but we were both on drip for quite um for, for that whole time so we couldn't um we couldn't kind of go home but what I loved about it was all the different midwives so they would all come in and I'd ask each one about nappies or, you know latch or you know boobs or scar or you know goodness knows what it was and all of them would have a different answer which was you know it was, it was really wonderful it kind of just reassured me that there's no right or wrong way it's kind of mm-hmm. whatever works for your for you and your baby and I suppose the big thing that first week as a new parent for me was like learning to feed properly and make sure that she was getting everything she needed um, absolutely yeah, and, and that, you know, some of them had, um, one lady literally just grabbed my boob and as, as Roxy screamed, just shoved it in her mouth so forcefully. And I was like, oh my God, okay, yeah, I got it, got it, that's how you do it. And then others had like a different approach. But by kind of day three or four, we kind of, we were, you know, we, we'd got it down and, and we were, I was quite lucky in that aspect. But the midwives were just so wonderful and it was great just having them on hand just to ask any questions you know, you've got so many questions as a new parent. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. I think my problem was that we left the hospital too soon. And, yeah. Because um, yeah. the post, like the recovery ward or whatever it's called, the post labor ward was just unbearable. And my partner spent like two nights on that horrible sitting chair, which is yes. the reclining yeah. chair, but it didn't recline. Yeah. So we just couldn't wait to get out of there. But yeah. our problem was that we didn't establish feeding properly. And then not no wasn't, yeah wasn't feeding well and then she ended up with jaundice and we had to go back to hospital so i think so your experience is definitely better in a way that yeah you get all the help it's like a 
you know, you can't just be let out <laughs> the next yeah. day. You need yeah, to my, I mean, it's, it's eased into it. It is mad. My little sister, actually, she had a baby, and I think it's about the 10th of February. And she was let out that evening, and she definitely hadn't learned how to feed. And, oh, it's, it's just so, I mean, I think it's terrifying. I think it's terrifying that they give you this charge and mm. that you're never meant to look after it. I kind of was like, oh, my God, are yeah. you sure? Like, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I think all, I, I kind of all the help I could get. And so I was really lucky in that in that instance that we stayed in, like I kind of, I was really grateful for all their advice. And a friend of mine, Miller, actually had said that with her first child, she said, because she stayed in for three nights, she managed to, you know, really get to grips with it all. And I just, and I remembered her saying that. And I remember thinking, oh, do you know what, I'm going to ask them everything I possibly can think of. So it was super helpful. Mm, that's brilliant. So how was it uh, getting back home as a family? Oh, it's just the most magical feeling, isn't it? I loved it. It was it was really lovely. It was January, so it was kind of, you know, a bit miserable outside. So you could just be cozy. Yeah. Um, we had, we had like, my auntie had stocked my kind of freezer with ready meals from Cook. So we oh, had, amazing. you know. Yeah, it was amazing, actually. That I was like, oh, this is great. Because at the end of a long day, you know, you can, you really, you know, you want to eat. And, you know, so we had some really great healthy food and it was just the three of us. And it was just so lovely. Yeah, it was really magical, actually. Oh, that's so good to hear. And when did you start cooking yourself? When did you feel confident or comfortable or up for it to go back into the kitchen? I feel that for so long you only ever have one hand, don't you? I feel like yes. when I got my second hand back, <laughs> probably only about last week, I was just like, oh, great, this is brilliant. But um, I wasn't that confident with kind of, my partner George, he cooks really well actually, so he's a great cook, so he does um, quite a lot of the cooking. But um, it took me a little while to kind of, yeah, get back into the swing of things, that's for sure. I think I just kind of embraced the whole not really knowing what time it was. You know, I, I quite liked that. I kind of felt like, you know, not having any day-to-day routine at the beginning. I really enjoyed that. That's great that if you have a right support system, then you can actually let go yeah. and really enjoy it. Because it is such, as, as um, exhausting as it is, it's such a magical time that goes away yeah. so quickly. And people always say like, oh, it should be so big really quickly. And I was thinking, yeah. oh, whatever. And, and now yeah. I'm thinking that now I say that to my sister. It's so <laughs> I'm only like a few weeks ahead of her, but now I say that and it's so patronizing of me. But it is like it does go really quickly. And I think George and I were chatting yesterday that if we were to do, you know, for, for the next one or if we were lucky enough to have another one, um, how I would just completely let go for four weeks and just, you know, I kind of let go for a couple of weeks and then I was back back into kind of various bits of work life or wanting to do stuff I just had I suppose I got a bit itchy after a couple of weeks I wanted a bit more stimulation mm-hmm. but um, I think actually just being able to let go totally is, is, is lovely it's so rare that you can do that how did you manage to give yourself that space um, as someone who manages a super successful events and catering business how did you let go for a few weeks yeah, it is really difficult. I, I was all set actually to kind of properly let go for, I had given myself till really the beginning of April. Um, so I knew that I had kind of 12 weeks, which is plenty of time off really. Um, and I was, I was one part of me was worried that it would go really quickly and I would not want to go back to work after a while. And the other part was that yeah and the other part I suppose is, was the anxiety of kind of going back after having time off um as confident as you you know as confident as you 
oh, it, you know, I suppose I was slightly anxious about kind of getting back into work and, you know, it having carried on without me, I suppose that was made me slightly nervous. Um, so I kind of kept my kept my hand in as such. I would kind of look at emails once a week. Um, any big decisions I was still part of. So that would be a quick phone call with the finance team or the HR team. Um, and I there were some certain things I kind of had to be part of, which I which I still was, but I just kind of gently, gently got back into it. Um, and that was, I think, through fear of kind of not fully knowing what was going on. I so I don't think I could kind of fully let go, but I definitely I definitely tried and I definitely step back and I was able to leave it with these brilliant people that work for me like they're just so fantastic I've got a great management team and they're a really respecting my space and the time of you know kind of how you know that time of life but you know just they were respectful I just had a baby basically um and that needed kind of space and privacy so they didn't really contact me until I kind of contacted them which I which I really respected um but luckily I'm in a position where I've got those you know brilliant people I've got that management structure there. So I was able to kind of step back, which was great. So you've been doing a really amazing job being a mom and still running your business. And if that wasn't enough, we have a pandemic happening at the moment. Like you didn't need that to happen, obviously, because I'm sure you've had enough on your plate. Um, how, how are you managing everything now? Because obviously this has added just an unimaginable extra level of concern and workload I would imagine yeah exactly so I it was not being in the business when it was happening I kind of I I suppose I was potentially slightly slower to kind of come to the realization of the consequences of it um so it I, I got some sales figures through for for what April was looking like and suddenly I was like shit April's completely fallen out and, and so I've got two parts of the business one is the events um, and one is the sites um, and the site they're two kind of different business models really I mean they're under one company but in terms of you know the finances when you're looking at them once once the events had fallen out I thought oh no this is this is you know I was looking at the confirmed bookings which had all fallen away and I was thinking shit this is going to be this is going to be difficult so then um, we're just so reactive so as a small company you you're dynamic you're reactive you make changes and you do it very quickly you've got no time to to to, to sit around and wait so I am um, I had heard that lots of the catering companies had made everybody redundant. They had literally just chucked, you know, just stopped on the Friday and, you know, all of their corporate events had gone from nothing. We had lost, you know, upwards of half a million in, in terms of kind of, you know, events oh, wow. for April, May. And I was thinking, God, this is going to be a nightmare. So it, it's no joke when it's, you know, when it's big figures and, you know, it's just so difficult and you've got, you know, you've got big payrolls and you've got, you know, suddenly your kind of business just falls off a cliff. So, what I did actually was I um I waited to hear what the government advice was about being furloughed. But ahead of that, we had a team meeting, and I kind of, you know, got all of my managers in one in one room. So there's about I suppose about kind of close to thirty of them. But I employ upwards of seventy staff, so I kind of you know had the heads of you know. The, the the main crew in a room and I suppose mm -hmm. I just said to them that I would you know I'd be as honest as I could with the business position that we were in a positive position because we've got some great investors and that we financially were in a you know we're in a positive position and ultimately you know for as long as possible I would you know maintain you know keeping them employed and paying them and so, so that's what we did and then the government introduced the option of furlough of being able to furlough staff so mm -hmm. then we we furloughed 90% of the employees, um, leaving five staff who have also taken a pay cut 
doing deliveries. So yeah, so we've got five staff who are working um, and two chefs in the kitchen, one delivery driver and two, an ops and a, you know, and a planner on the phone um, planning as well. So those five are a bit of a nuclear team who are running deliveries um, on significant pay cuts. And then the rest of the team have been furloughed, the rest of the company have been furloughed. So it was, it, was, it was difficult because it was slightly hazy in terms of when to close the cafes, when to close the restaurants. I've also got a kiosk in a park. So was that slightly different? Um, so with the different parts of the business, I had to really decide quite quickly. Um, but it was, I suppose we were waiting on the government really and following their advice. And they were, they were slightly slower in saying, you know, you definitely can't trade as restaurants and you can't trade as cafes. So the events kind of went first and then it was a waterfall effect really. But um, yeah, I was suddenly straight back into it. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And doing that on kind of when you've been up a couple of times in a night feeding a baby is definitely challenging yeah. Yeah. for sure. Wow. Trying to make serious top level decisions with half a brain is quite hard. Wow. <laughs> so we did it. Your story is just so inspiring. Um, how do you feel kind of in terms of your identity? You know, you obviously been running your business for a very long time. And then all of a sudden you've got this new, completely um, kind of unrehearsed <laughs> role as a mother. Um, yeah. How do you feel combining the two in, in one life, really? Yeah. Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? It's, I mean, you must, I'm sure everybody finds it, but it's such a balancing act. And I, um, at first I was kind of um, like looking at emails on my phone when I was feeding, this was like February. And then suddenly I was like, no, stop. I need to not be doing that. I need to really concentrate on Roxy. So I kind of already had had a bit of a tussle with myself about the balance of Roxy and work. And mm -hmm. I, because I was like, oh, I'm back at work part-time in April. I'll, you know, I just need to have all of March with Roxy and just really embrace her. And, you know, because then, you know, because then I was going back part-time. So I was, I suppose, trying to balance the two. Um, and I was actually quite excited about getting a good work-life balance. I was, I was excited about being at work and, giving that my all and then being at home and giving Roxy my all. Um, so I kind of was hoping that I wouldn't be doing emails and stuff at home and I wouldn't have to bring work home with me. I suppose that's what, that was the aim of the game, but now it's a whole, it's a whole next match. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And who is looking after Roxy when you're focusing on work? So George, who is incredible, without him, my goodness. And annoyingly, listen, now that now that um we've had the 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 um the pandemic, now that he's home, he is far better with her than I am. So <laughs> there was me thinking that kind of was nailing it. Actually, he's so good. Um, I'm a bit more relaxed and with like nap times and kind of I'm a bit more casual about the routine because I'm trying to do so many things. And and actually now those two, they're in a great little routine. It's all fine. They they basically don't need me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. Yeah. I'm feeling a bit more redundant from it all, but, um, yeah, no, he's amazing, which is great. <laughs> and who does the most, um, of the cooking at, at home? Still him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still him. I'm, um, yeah, he does actually quite a lot and we do try and take it in terms. Like we have got quite a fair balance. We, we, do you know what we, we discuss so much as a couple. Um, it's so important to kind of, you know, how, how's he feeling and you know, how am I feeling? I just think, and you know, sometimes, you know, he can, you know, it's so easy to be like, right, I've cooked three nights in a row now it's your turn or, you know, and that we're both mm. conscious of the other person having a lot of support from each other. 
we both need a lot of support from each other so it, we're, we're quite open about it but um yeah he i think he's definitely winning on the cooking front oh you're a lucky woman <laughs> that's wonderful yeah, i know don't tell him that don't tell him that <laughs> i wanted to go um all the way to the very beginning and talk about your own childhood um yeah. and if food was a big part of your childhood yeah it really was I'm one of four children and um I grew up my mum was a great cook she really was a brilliant cook as was my granny both grannies actually they were really good so I suppose kind of memories for me are always like sitting around the table big family lots of kind of big you know like feasty kind of meals and I suppose we always had a Sunday lunch we were always kind of sat around the table for Sunday lunch um, and just kind of not not super fancy food, but you know, I suppose mum could cook really well on a budget, and making sure that we, you know, we were always kind of well fed was important. But lots of great memories around food, and you know, celebrations, and growing up having dabbled in the kitchen was really nice. Mm. What was your favourite thing to eat as a child? Oh my god, I used to make like apple crumble. So I could eat the topping totally raw. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a good one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that I think. Um, oh, yeah. And then like a few pâtés. I remember I learned to make mackerel pâté at quite a young age and thought I was so cool. Um, so, yeah, I think just kind of, yeah, super simple. but uh, And lots of baking. I suppose when I was younger, lots, lots of kind of fairy cakes and cakes. And, yeah, lots of the good stuff, the sweet stuff, cookie, cookie dough. Brilliant. And what made you decide to actually work in food? Um, so I think I always loved it and I kind of always could be quite busy in the kitchen. But I was expelled from school when I was 15. So I arrived back um, and my mum was like, well, you better start making some pocket money um, because I had, yeah, I'd arrived back for the summer term. So I printed out some posters and put them up in my dad's office and it was selling sandwiches. So people would phone in and I'd get their sandwich order and then I'd get on my bicycle and deliver these sandwiches at lunchtime. And they were the worst sandwiches, I'm sure. <laughs> they were so rubbish. Um, but I grew up in the Middle East, so this is in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, um, where they, there was nowhere for them to eat. So all they had was my overpriced shit sandwiches. Um, <laughs> and, and so I managed to make some pocket money from it. And I was about 14, 15. And I remember thinking like, great, what can be so hard about starting a food business? Now I know how hard it is. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I suppose it kind of stemmed from there. And so you've, since then you've worked in food all your life? Yes. Yeah. On and off. Yeah. Worked in restaurants, front of house, back of house, chef, um, lots of private cooking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I did a hospitality degree at Oxford Brooks. So yeah, it's all been around like the service industry and cooking and, and food and restaurants. That's amazing. And how long ago did you start Social Pantry? I think it was 2011, um, which, yeah, so 2011, 2012, around then. So kind of eight, nine years. Mm -hmm. A while ago. Yes, yes. Um, did you ever have any um, concerns about being able to combine a busy career with um, potentially having a family? Yeah, I did actually. I was well, I was concerned. I think I I also was I also was really conscious that I didn't want work to stop me from anything, because um, work can be so all consuming. And when you're running your own business, I think all consuming is the way to put it. You know, it's twenty four seven in your head. It's it's just so full on. And as it gets busy, bigger, you think it's going to get easier, but it doesn't. You've got 
you know, more responsibilities as a business owner and, you know, higher payrolls and, you know, more risks to be taken. Like, you know, it, it, I suppose running a small little business is, is totally different from running a growing business, all of which have, you know, endless challenges. So, but I didn't want that to kind of stop my private life. So I always made sure that even in my like, you know, early twenties when I was running it, I would always make sure that I kind of had a balance between work and and my social life or my my private life and I didn't want to kind of get to 45 and suddenly think god actually maybe I should have had some children so I I suppose I just knew that I would I would have to strike a balance and and Roxy came at a good time when social country is really stable and I was you know I was able to duck out for a couple of months which is really you know which is great because there's definitely times in the past where if you know if it happened then I one you know it wouldn't have been as easy or it might not the other business might not have survived so I'm lucky that the business had a lot of structure when I when I decided to do it um but and also I wanted to do it when all my friends were having children I kind of feel that if you yeah I, I almost wanted to have friends with children the same age and so I didn't want to leave it too much later. So how did you manage to strike that balance I think it's so healthy the way you perceive your career that you know it is you love it obviously so much you're very passionate about it yet you're very aware that it shouldn't be the only thing in your life and there will be other aspects that are as important and that you know you paved your way very carefully and very kind of cleverly on a practical level how did you manage to find that balance and to kind of set work aside when you needed to yeah, it is really difficult. It does come at a price. I remember, like, you've got to trust the people that you work with. And I think this is the thing is that, you know, I can't be at every event and I can't be in every site. So you've got to really trust the people that are there. And you've got to be okay with most of the time they do it better than if I was there, you know, and that's great. Mm. But there's definitely times where I've had to leave them to it knowing that it won't be as good as if I was there, if that makes sense. So, yeah. or that way they're going to do it would you know would be different to how I was going to do it or you know you've got to kind of trust people you've got to have a great team you've got to trust people and you've just got to leave them to it and if it goes wrong it goes wrong you're only going to learn you know they're only going to learn so you've got to kind of not worry about it you know you've got whereas if you're going to micromanage and be neurotic about them not getting it right or the team not doing it well enough or them not you know setting the table correctly then really you you, you're not going to get anywhere because you're not going to grow as a company and your whole life is going to be completely worried and anxious about you know how the team's performing without you so i suppose I'm, I mean, relax is probably a step too far, but I suppose I'm, kind of, I, yeah, I'm confident in giving, you know, these youngies or, you know, my management team are now brilliant, but in the past, I've definitely given younger people or people that are inexperienced a real opportunity and, you know, I've left them to it and 99% of the time they are brilliant and they do fantastically. And there's obviously 1% of the time where it doesn't go well and then you handle the consequences. But if it, when it does go well, it shows, great, they can do that again and again and they don't need me there, so I can step back. So I suppose it's just trusting other people to, to, you know, to really be their best and really be fantastic. Yeah, that's such a wonderful approach because it shows that you trust them and then it inspires them to do their best exactly and yeah gives you time as well so that's a win-win situation for everyone yeah exactly and as you grow as a business owner you just put the best people around you so like I will have whatever I'm rubbish at I will have somebody who's brilliant in that role um so I kind of know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and you know so these people often are just fantastic you know I've got some brilliant chefs I got some you know brilliant ops directors who runs all of my sites you know these now you know, these people in place are really fantastic. So they now 
far better and far more capable than I am at those jobs. Yeah. But in the beginning it was, yeah, trusting a lot of, trusting other people to do it. Mm-hmm. It definitely can. So at which point did you decide that the timing is right to start a family? It's so difficult to kind of know when, isn't it? Because you just never know how quickly it's going to happen. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a battle. But I think we kind of just let, let it naturally happen. So for us, there, there's never a good time, I don't think. Um, but yeah, just letting it kind of naturally happen was our kind of, I suppose, our preference. Yeah. And was it easy to achieve your goal? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah. I mean, we kind of were really lucky, to be honest. We, um, yeah, I kind of knew Social Pantry was in a, in a good position from kind of, yeah, it'd been in a good position for about six months. And I, you know, from that point onwards, I was thinking, okay, you know, it can be achievable, you know, both sides that can be achievable now. So yeah, no, we, we, that side of everything, we were so lucky, really, really lucky that it was all, all quite straightforward, actually, which is great. That's wonderful. So what was your pregnancy like? Oh my goodness. So I hated pregnancy. Oh no. <laughs> I am not a good advert for pregnancy. I don't know why. I mean, although the other day I did say to George, I was like, wasn't it a breeze? And he was like, no, it wasn't. You were <laughs> such hard work. Don't be thinking it was easy. I think he's probably got post-traumatic stress actually from supporting oh, me through pregnancy. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, I just really struggled. I was really sick for the first few months and that was hard. I, so being sick at work and trying to not, oh, and trying no. to hide it and feeling really rubbish. I mean, I did eat so many croissants through that, and pan through that first three months. Like every morning I'd stop at the cafe and get two or three pastries. That was like, that got me through. Um, and then, and then I suddenly, I just didn't really like slowing down. I think I found that really, I really struggled with slowing down. That was quite hard. And then I got to the point where my brain was really like foggy and trying to, I suppose, run a relatively sizable company was, was I found really challenging. I'd be in meetings and I'd be thinking, God, I can't keep up with what they're talking about or, oh God, I can't remember that person's name or, you know, it was just really, really difficult. I just found it really challenging. So if it wasn't physically when I like couldn't put my shoes on or was trying not to be sick or, you know, the whole physical side is one thing, but the mental side was the other. And then I just felt that it went on for so long. Um, I mean, it feels now like it went in a, in a flash, but during it, I really, it did feel like quite a long time. And aside from croissants, what was your favorite yeah. stuff to eat? Anything beige, like pasta, <laughs> bread, like that was literally super noodles. Um, you know, there's like 59p super noodles. For the yes. <laughs> um that yeah literally anything beige like pastry breads or oh, carbs 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 so much pasta um yeah I mean I yeah I love eating and that was one that was one plus actually is the fact that you can kind of just eat you know I just ate I didn't it didn't matter what it was I just you know I ate and ate and ate I got really into chocolate I don't really like chocolate or you know sweets but I kind of got quite into that um yeah I, re- I really enjoyed the eating side of it when did you start your maternity leave so I was due to start my maternity leave about I think end of November because no yeah end of November and I was due on the second week of December and actually George's auntie and another friend who's a caterer they were, and George's auntie being a caterer they both said 
listen, you need to make sure you really slow down because they had both had quite premature babies. And I thought, okay, I'm really going to listen to that advice. And I did. So I kind of, I actually pulled it forward a couple of weeks and I was really grateful. I was, I was really glad that I had because I had, I had got to the point where I was exhausted. I was, you know, I was really tired and really struggling. And then, um, and then I stopped kind of, I think, yeah, first, second week of December, I was doing emails, but at home. So I kept it really open and flexible. I just kept it to see how I was feeling. But I also was, you know, I was conscious of maternity pay. And there was, you know, there's a few reasons for wanting to carry on. But I also just listened to my body. And I think it was, it was time to kind of chill out a bit earlier than I suppose I initially thought but I did I did have to go and do a, a live Sky News interview and I was about 39 weeks pregnant and wow. I went with one of my ex-offenders and <laughs> I said to him I was like Kyle if I faint just he's like yeah I'll just faint too and I was like okay great so we just had this plan they sent a car for me and I waddled out to the car like waddled in I, and I had said to the like producer like oh, I'm, quite, I'm quite pregnant anyway and as I got there I think they were thinking shit she is so pregnant <laughs> um <laughs> Um, and so it was so large the makeup lady had to like do every double chin you know, oh, like, you. Keep, on with the, keep on with the blush you know I was so big and then I was so sweaty I've never sweated more through an interview and then we were like live on air and I was with Carla next event I was you know normally I'd be a bit worried they were going to swear or you know and actually Kyle was fantastic supported me throughout the whole thing so we did we did a couple of minutes live on air which was great but I did think that it would be hilarious if I fainted and then he did too I was thinking that would serve them right for making (laughs) me do it (laughs) so has um, your experience of motherhood changed the way you work now yeah I think I yeah I I think just more um more concisely kind of I think you know you're more focused when you're at your computer you or you know at work like I haven't got as much time to kind of potter around so it's quite like quite I suppose I'm I suppose organized yeah and I suppose all the little stuff that I would normally do before just falls away because you haven't got time so it's just being really sensible and making use of the one hour or the two hours that you've got um it's really kind of I suppose upping the tempo and making sure that you can get as much done so I suppose I'm pretty more effective working yeah I'd agree with that um, what would your advice be to working women who are thinking of starting a family? Um, there's never a right time, I think. I think just go for it. And ultimately, if you've got a supportive team around you, a supportive employer or boss or business partner, um, or, you know, yourself, but I think just go for it. And, you know, people should be incredibly supportive in, in a number of ways but if you've got the right people around you um you know and women are incredible this is what I've realized from it just now understanding I suppose what my sister's done by having four children I now understand I mean one was enough you know that was hard enough for me challenging enough so for her to have four I've now got a real understanding of what these how incredible these women are that juggle or do it on their own or you know oh, or you know numerous children I, I just got such an admiration for women so I think you know people are so much stronger than they realize um and you don't have to have everything financially or you know you can definitely take on the challenge so if you're you know if you're really wanting to ah. don't, don't let anything stop you I think is important I'm absolutely sure. and you're definitely a wonderful example of that I have a lot of support so like yeah it's definitely the people around me that make it all possible without them it would be so much harder but but yeah 
I wouldn't discourage anyone. It's a mad journey, that's for sure. It's crazy. It certainly is, yes. <laughs> and my last question would be, um, could you share a recipe that is kind of a staple in your household that would be perfect for other new mums? Um, what have we been doing this week? Oh, yeah, George has been doing um, some really, really delicious like homemade flatbreads. Probably sound really complicated, but it's really not. It's like, it's, I think it's a mix of, it's half water, half flour, and then it just creates a little dough, and then we kind of dry fry them in a pan. So it's these flatbreads, and they are just so... He kept half the dough yesterday, and so we kind of, you know, went back to it for lunch. We had it with some wild garlic butter, but great with soups. We had it with some minestrone. Um, we put we barbecued the other flatbreads. Yeah, we barbecued the flatbreads as well, which was just so delicious. Um, yeah, like a kind of staple bread recipe was was just great. But if not, I'm thinking back to like Jan Feb. Oh, I I lived off like risotto, like a really hearty risotto. Mm. Um, that for me is like a go to because. I I always have risotto rice and parmesan or a cheese somewhere and even just a handful of peas from the freezer is just it's just great and it's like a good bit of healthy stodge um so it's filling it's nutritious and it's and it's really simple to make um so yeah I I would say kind of a good risotto or yeah a lovely like the I suppose you just feel so content when you've got like homemade flatbreads and and they are so simple so you can literally have them with anything even with an egg on in the morning is delicious that sounds wonderful thank you so much alex it was so lovely to talk to you thank you so much it's so kind it's it's really lovely chatting it all through it's amazing thank you for listening if you have enjoyed this episode please don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast i would love to know what you think of mother food so please rate and leave a review You can find me on Instagram at Elisa Timoshkina and do visit my website elisatimoshkina.com for show notes and recipes featured on this podcast. Podcast.